Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, that's my mom. And Glenn Leverins. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Thursday, January 18th, 2024. Good morning. And welcome back to our number two of Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverins and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us across America and beyond, wherever you may be, across our nation or even around the world, uh, listening to us here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. I want to remind you that the March for Life in Washington, D.C. is tomorrow. And again, this year, Relevant Radio is inviting you to Fast for Life in solidarity with the marchers. You can uh, take an act part in the march from your home or from your office by praying and fasting for the protection of the unborn. Now, how are our listeners participating? Deb from Mintonvale, Kansas, wrote fasting from sweets all day. Christina from Riverside, Illinois, wrote in and said, we'll have a regular meal at lunch and a small meal at dinner. We'll try and smile more. And she puts in a really cute Cute uh, emoji of a, a smiley face. Um, Kathleen from uh, California wrote, No diet, Dr. Pepper, no artificial sweetener in my drinks. This is really hard for me, especially my morning coffee. Uh, we also have uh, some friends uh, from around the globe joining us. Uh, Jose from uh, Curitiba, Brazil, wrote, I will abstain from coffee and YouTube browsing. And Amal from uh, Wolverhampton uh, in the United Kingdom wrote, wrote, I'm going to fast from all the things I like to eat, uh, drink, and consume, or do to uh, a day of uh, silence uh, with God. So you too can tell us how you'll be participating uh, tomorrow. Thousands have already uh, written in at relevantradio.com slash fast. That's relevantradio.com slash fast. And don't forget, make sure you uh, share hashtag fast for life on all of your social media. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah once again. Hey, Glenn, what are a few of the stories uh, making headlines here this hour on this uh, cold Thursday morning? Oh, it's winter once again. Believe it or not, John, we look around here in mid-January and, and there's snow and there's more coming about three inches at least going to blanket the northern tier of the U.S., uh, slowing down the roadways and the airports as well. Uh, a lot of ice storms out in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, several deaths reported in the last few days across the country due to uh, the severe weather and uh, making roads a little more treacherous as well. And, and even radio announcers having to maybe get up a little earlier to scrape off the car, John. Oh, yes. Uh, it is an act of humility and, uh, and a wake-up call <laughs> early in the morning. Yeah, you can't scraping be too tired. You can't be uh, too tired anymore once you get the shock of the cold weather <laughs> in your, the crust of your eyeballs. They pop right open. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm super careful with my scraper now when I'm brushing off the snow because, uh, as I mentioned the other day, over the weekend, my old scraper busted in half as I was trying to, you know, uh, chop off some of the ice that was on the windshield and the little... It was so, it was so cold that it literally just broke. That's well, cold. from a, a a Minnesota veteran of such things, just you know, let the car run for a while. You know? Have you guys ever tried? Um, there's like that spray that you can spray on your windshield, and it's supposed to de-ice 
the ice that's a layer on there. I've I remember using that. I haven't used it in a while because I don't mean to brag, but I have a garage that my car is in, so I don't have to do very much scraping. But there's like a spray, and it kind of de-ices so that like when you do use the scraper, it's not as much work. Sounds like a great invention. You might go look that up. Yeah, I think. See if it's still out there. Our, our, our producer Gabby uh, mentioned that they used it over the weekend. So yeah. uh, that might be something to go uh, shopping for. You know, a good spray this time of year, too, is that uh, spray on tanning lotion and just find yourself, you know, in the southern <laughs> southern climate and, and enjoy that. But uh, more winter weather on the way. More politics on the way, too, of course, uh, in uh, in New Hampshire. Coming up on Tuesday, it's the first primary of the primary season after the caucuses last Monday in Iowa. Things continue there, and uh, the president's legal troubles continue. He's in court in, uh, in New York this week. And then in Maine, you got a little bit of a boost here as a judge in Maine is staying a decision, just kind of waiting to find out whether or not the president, former president there should be allowed on the state's ballot for now. Last month, the Secretary of State disqualified Mr. Trump, over the 14th Amendment, uh, the ruling Wednesday, though, said a final decision should be kept on hold till the Supreme Court takes a look at a similar case from Colorado. So uh, the Supreme Court of the U.S. will hear arguments on that Colorado case February 8th. Maine will hold its primary on March 5th. So uh, things carry on as normal for now, but, uh, you know, whatever the court decides could have quite an impact, John. All eyes on the Supreme Court. Let's just hope and pray that the Supreme Court uh, rules in a unanimous, uh, compelling uh, fashion uh, because uh, this whole issue uh, has divided our country and uh, it's just it's something we need to get out of the way. I think it's, it's, it's insane to think uh, that, that a, uh, the 14th Amendment and the, and the clause that they're trying to use to exclude the, the former president uh, from the ballot it was never intended for that. It was it's from after the Civil War and the fact that they're trying to use this uh, to go against the will of the people and, uh, you know, four unelected judges uh, basically determining uh, the, the fate of uh, November's election. I, I think that it should be uh, a no-brainer for the Supreme Court, but then Again, you never know. Well, we'll get a ruling, whether it be unanimous or not, that might be a, a bit much to hope for. I mean, we have justices that if they were to retire today could find a spot on Fox News. And other justices, if they were to write, retire today, could could find a spot on The View, for that matter. And so, uh, <laughs> Yes, or have their own show on MSNBC, yeah. Um, that's a good point there, Glenn. So, yeah, I, well, you know, uh, it's, it's, it, it, put it in the Lord's hands. Absolutely, as we as we ought to. And now for our next segment, we put it in Sarah's hands. This is true. It's time for another edition of What's That Sound? Nice segue. My hands weren't ready. I was unprepared. But now I'm ready. So, hey, guys, <laughs> welcome to another edition of What's That Sound? If you're driving to work or getting ready at home, hey, we're ready for you, too. So tune in and uh, perk your ears up. John, you get the first clue. Let's see if you can figure out this sound. Uh, that sounds like Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> No, John, you gotta you gotta crack open that spinach for lunch, there, John. Oh. Uh, yes, uh, that's a good hint. Very good. You're on the right track. Does that help you, John? 
Uh, could it be Popeye? Yes, oh, it my could. Goodness. Yes, you know it sounded like Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> it could. I mean, it's an old time cartoon, and uh, I guess uh, yesterday was Popeye Day in honor of uh, this cartoon. Uh, Ninety five years ago, that started as like a little comic strip, and now cartoon, and it been out there a couple of different movies. I think actually, Robin Williams, I know, was in one of them, and. Uh, you know what? He's still going strong. My kids were watching it, and I was shocked that they actually, you know, they wanted to sit through it. They wanted to watch it. I was like, really? Popeye? Okay. Well, hey. But he's... now, do they, do they like to eat their spinach, though? You know what? They, I have not seen one of them crack open uh, <laughs> one of those spinach cans and try to eat it raw, which to me sounds so gross. I don't know. Man, they're really reaching that that was going to give anybody strength. I mean, a gag reflex would probably be more likely. But you're bringing Popeye's me back to Buddy, you know, Wimpy with the hamburgers. Yeah, that's more my speed. <laughs> yeah, Sarah, you're bringing me back to my childhood. I used to love uh, uh, Pop- Popeye the Sailor Man. And Curious George. Oh, there you go. There you go. Those are all very good. Curious George still strong today. So, hey, those some, sometimes uh, when, it, when it's good, it stands the test of time. And that is true of Popeye. Okay, Glenn, let's see if you can uh, figure out this audio clip. Let's see. Oh, I know that one. Well... And at first, I was going to say the sound of, of, of John's car trying to get, get started after, you know, he scraped off the snow. But I, I suppose it actually is popcorn in the microwave. Yeah, right? they're very good. That's exactly what it is. And this is, you know, one of those family treats. Everyone loves uh, popcorn, popping corn, sometimes by microwave, sometimes on the stovetop. Are you guys a okay. microwave or stovetop guys? Th- that's a good question. I was just thinking the same thing. The old-fashioned way where you have to turn it and and, and uh, it pops on the stove or the, or the easy way where you just... Uh, Push the button on the, the yep, microwave. Yeah, which one is your favorite? Um, you know, believe it or not, the old-fashioned way, I think it actually tastes better. Yeah, it is a different... Well, and, you know, you you are in control of the flavoring yourself, not, uh, you know, and how many kernels get popped, right? Because usually you get the bag and they're in the microwave. There's half the bag is still kernels. And you can't, you know, hey, uh, FYI out there, don't try to re... No. Do the bag, your house might burn down. I did that before, and we had some alarms going off, and I had to keep the bag outside of the house, and days later still smelled like the the devastation from the popcorn kernels. Don't do that. Either way, there's an art to doing it, because you want to make sure you don't put too much popcorn kernels in, otherwise you have uh, too many uh, that don't pop. That's true. You know, uh, tortilla chips are safer, guys. Just, <laughs> Is that just, where you land, Glenn? They're safer. safer. No, I can still picture. I hadn't thought of my dad would make it in the, the stovetop, and I can still picture the bowl it would end up in every time. And then as a kid, I remember the, when they'd advertise, I think it was Jiffy Pop, the yeah. kind that had the little, you know, it, it would kind of pop up in its own little uh, uh, aluminum dome there mm-hmm. on the stove. And uh, that just seemed like a cool thing. Oh, you're making me think of with. Orville Redenbacher. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I think you could still get those little, uh, those Jiffy Pop poppers uh, at different stores if you look hard enough, because I found one once and I was like, I can't believe this is still being made. So <laughs> they're out there. Those were great for camping. Yes. Yeah. So maybe that's, it's a summer thing. It's not out season. It's season seasonally out but uh yeah so very good well that was that clip you guys are doing good a lot better this time maybe i uh i picked some easier ones i don't know okay here's our movie clip i i will uh accept the name of the actor or the name of the movie let's see if you guys know what's this sound people will come ray oh my people goodness definitely come john you got this one. yes field of dreams 
Oh, well, I'm glad you didn't see Darth Vader or something else. That would have been really embarrassing since you guys love baseball. You should have got that one. That <laughs> is one of my all-time yeah, favorites. In fact, my dream, every time I drive through uh, Iowa on, my, on our way to Omaha and I see all the cornfields, I always think of Field of Dreams. And do you come? He built it, so did you go there? Uh, I actually did. I went okay, to Cedar good. Rapids last okay, summer right. to, to watch my son play at a travel <laughs> baseball tournament, and they actually had corn on the other side of the outfield. It looked just like out of the movie. Very nice. <laughs> no well, hey, shoeless Joe Jackson, though. <laughs> well, we still need popcorn and other corn, so they still need to still grow stuff, so that's good. They're still making use of it. How about you, Glenn? Well, I tell you, when, when the when the last shot pans up and you see all the car headlights coming there, it brings a little tear to the eye. It's one of, one of I would say, a, a few films that can make us big, strong guys possibly tear up a little bit. Because that whole idea of playing catch with your dad growing up, you know, and just the love of love of baseball, playing with your buddies, is a very, very strong, very strong tug on the heart for those of a certain age. Oh, my goodness. That is so, so true. Well, that was in honor of Kevin Costner. Today's his birthday. He is 69 today. So happy birthday, Kevin Costner. And, hey, thanks for making that film for us. We appreciate it. No doubt about it. All right. Great stuff. I think we did a little bit better uh, oh, here gosh, so uh, in hour uh, number two. Uh, I'll have to <laughs> brush up on my uh, Cary Grant. Yeah. Judy, Judy, Judy. <laughs> You'll definitely have to brush up. And I have some movie suggestions for both of you if you haven't watched them. Okay, guys? We'll talk after. All right. Thanks again, uh, Sarah and Glenn. We uh, begin every hour here on Morning Air always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord Jesus for all the many blessings, uh, always being reminded in our hearts that every day is a blessing. Every day is a gift. And we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, the Queen of Peace, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and Ukraine, peace in our nation, peace in our church, and peace in our families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we invoke the Holy Spirit every morning here on this program when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Quick reminder, something I do every Thursday, just a quick moment to remind you about the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday by our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, during this Eucharistic revival that our bishops have called for, try to visit the Blessed Sacrament sometime today if you get a chance. Obviously, it's good to visit the Blessed Sacrament any day, but Thursday's in a special way as we remember a Holy Thursday. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Jeremiah 29, 13. The Old Testament prophet uh, says, You shall seek me and shall find me when you shall seek me with all your heart. This is what true devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ is all about. It's about giving Jesus the Lord your entire heart, not just going through the motions with a half-hearted effort. It's about seeking Christ with everything you have, with all your heart, and making Jesus the Lord number one, and then everything else will fall into place. And we always pray, 
with uh, great confidence uh, that prayer that uh, Drew and Maggie pray every afternoon here on Relevant Radio from the Chapel of Divine Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. We need to take a short pause when Morning Air continues. A Catholic speaker and journalist, Kate Wicker, will be with us uh, to talk about how uh, teens are experiencing anxiety these days more than ever. So stay with us. There is uh, much more to come on this Thursday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Wasby spinning, Wasby spinning. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. This is Morning Air. Your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's good to be with you on this Thursday morning. You can always uh, send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. And our toll-free line that you just heard a moment ago, if you want to be part of the conversation, is 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Now, did you know that anxiety disorders are the most common mental health disorders of childhood and teen years? In fact, according to the Child Mind Institute, nearly 32% of children and teenagers will battle some form of anxiety by the time that they turn 18. And girls are more than twice as likely to deal with anxiety or depression than boys. And if you throw in the pandemic, it just made things even worse, Uh, the, the symptoms of anxiety for so many uh, teens. Uh, is your teen experiencing anxiety and uh, what does teen anxiety and depression actually look like? Joining us live uh, this morning is Catholic journalist and speaker uh, Kate Wicker, a uh, morning air regular contributor to talk about how uh, teens are experiencing anxiety. Uh, Kate is a Wife, a mother of five uh, children, a bibliophile, a marathon runner, eating disorder survivor, and uh, a perfectionist and recovery, as she says. Uh, Kate is also the author of Getting Past Perfect, How to Find Joy and Grace in the Messiness of Motherhood. Good morning, Kate. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. It's great to be with you once again, I believe, for the first time here in the new year. Yes, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Well, Kate, this is a really uh, difficult topic that we're going to uh, tackle here uh, this morning. And, uh, you know, most of us uh, realize that uh, uh, during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, depression and anxiety, especially in the youth, uh, you know, doubled compared to uh, before the the pandemic. Uh, And that's according to to a, a lot of different research. What is your take on where we're at here in uh, early uh, 2024 uh, in terms of this so-called epidemic of teen anxiety. Yeah, um, well, I come up from this from, you know, two kind of unique perspectives. One being the mother of three teenage girls and one teenage boy and then a seven-year-old. But (laughs) um, And then also as a teenager with undiagnosed anxiety, like I, it took me becoming an adult and actually having that anxiety manifest in some major depression 
before I was able to kind of see that this ticker tape of thoughts that I had was actually not normal, you know, constantly questioning things, wondering if I said something right, um, wondering if I, you know, did the best I could on the test. And I think it's really easy for us as parents. Yes, we recognize that COVID-19 was hard on all of us, but sometimes it's very easy for us to look at our teenagers and think, gosh, they're living the time of their lives. Like everything's taken care of for them. And, you know, there's not, they don't have to pay a mortgage or, or whatever. And to kind of undermine the things that an everyday teenager goes through and some of the pressures that are both external that they, that, that push them to be a certain way to succeed um, or to look a certain way or, or to feel like they fit in and how they internalize those. And it becomes a part of their identity. And a lot of times they do turn to things like eating disorders or, um, some other type of addiction or cutting themselves to deal with it. Cause they don't, they don't really know how to deal with this massive, this, I, I've always called it this ticker tape of thoughts and feelings that just is like rushing through them. And then to compound things, let's say the child comes from a good, strong, faithful, um, Catholic family. I know that I experienced a lot of shame because I thought, well, gosh, if my hope is in Jesus and there are other people who've been through so much worse that have this strong faith, then what's wrong with me? Why can't I get my act together? My faith must not be strong enough. But you cannot pray yourself out of anxiety. It can help, but you can't, you have to recognize, and it's hard if you come from a background of having really stable mental health to understand this. I know my mom struggled with it. She has a very strong faith, had a lot of bad things happen to her, but has always just not struggled with mental health. And, and so sometimes it was hard for her. She just didn't understand. Like, it's just kind of like, well, suck it up. Life is hard. And um, she has learned so, she's so compassionate now. Um, I have an older brother too, who suffers. Um, he's actually had an addiction and suffered from depression. And uh, we come from a long line of alcoholics. So it, it runs in our family. And so it, it's so much of it's genetic. I say the genetic gun, um, can be loaded and then it can be triggered by all sorts of things by the pandemic, being isolated from your friends, by spending too much time on social media, the amount of pressure. I noticed when my daughter was applying for college, she didn't do it. And she has a very, she did not inherit my genes. She's like extremely like just very, um, I don't want to say well-adjusted because that I'm not trying to um, demonize mental health, but she just has a very even keel doesn't sweat the small stuff, isn't, doesn't get anxious, takes everything with a grain of salt. But during the college process, like literally kids now and parents post like the, all the schools kids got into. And I was just thinking about it. Like what if a child had a dream school they didn't get into and then they see all it feels like everyone else got into it because social media has this way of making us think, you know, if there's a hashtag that that's the way everyone's feeling or that's the way everybody is. And just how that would chip away at someone's self-worth and how hard maybe they worked in school and just feel like it's a waste, just the pressure they put on themselves. So I think there's so many different facets with the pandemic being isolated from friends and, um, and then, like I said, reaching out to friends on the, in the electronic form. It's, it's not the same as having a friend that you can go on a walk with and pour your heart to. So as parents, 
we need to just be aware that if our child is being a little more quiet than normal or if they're all of a sudden very emotional. Um, I actually went to a suicide training prevention um, a class, a three-hour class for youth, and it was fascinating to me because we always think, oh, well, like if your, your school grades were dropping, that would be a sign. But also if school grades get really good all of a sudden, that can be a sign. So like any major shift, could mean that they're, you know, anxiety can lead to depression that can lead to suicide. So any little shift that you see, just keep your finger on the pulse and don't be afraid to ask those tough questions because a lot of times teenagers, even if they brush you off, say they're fine, roll their eyes, they want to be seen. And by you taking the time to ask them how they are and give them a hug and encourage them, maybe put a note, you know, in their book bag, just these little ways to let them know that you're there for them, you're praying for them, and you want them to come and get help if they need it. Well, there's no doubt, uh, Kate, as a mother of uh, four teens, uh, uh, three girls and a boy, that you are passionate about uh, this issue. I want to invite uh, our listeners. Uh, I'm I'm sure someone out there uh, is listening that has had to deal with all of this. Uh, is your teenager uh, dealing with anxiety or depression? How has anxiety impacted the life of your daughter or son? Uh, if uh, this is an issue that is personal for you, we, we'd like uh, to hear from you and be part of our conversation here as we are taking your calls for Catholic journalist, uh, speaker, and mom, Kate Wicker, 888 We only have Kate for just... A few more minutes. The, the number is 888 if you want to jump into the conversation. You know, Kate, um, neither one of us are psychologists, but, uh, you know, no. a while back, you know, and believe me, this is an issue that hits home because, you know, when you talked about, you know, cutting themselves, I've, I've heard of, of children doing this, and uh, my goodness, I can't even imagine how I, I would react uh, in that kind of a situation. But uh, a while back, we had Monsignor Rossetti uh, on the show to talk about this issue with a, from an adult perspective, not with children, but, uh, you know, he, he mentioned, and he's a psychologist in, in, in addition to Catholic priest, and he said that there's definitely a spiritual aspect uh, uh, to dealing with anxiety and depression. Uh, You know, as a Catholic mom, uh, uh, what is your take? Yeah, no, I definitely, I'm always quick to say, like what I said before, like if someone needs, you know, mental health, then we are, and has the resources, I think we need to get better with having more mental health resources, but you should always ask for help. But yes, of course, um, there's so many ways to to comfort ourselves um, uh, within the faith life. And I think a spiritual dimension is a lot of times with anxiety, you're worried about all these things that aren't in control. And so just to know that it's okay, you know, God is in control. We don't have control over everything. And that's kind of just the way it is. Um but also to know that if that feeling that of lack of control is leading to, you know, deep-rooted depression, things like that, I think what happens a lot of times is when you get to a really bad place, you don't have hope. But hope is a theological virtue, and it's something that if you feel like you don't have it, you do. And just praying on it and then getting the professional help you need, um, I know that it can be so hard and it can feel like, you're never going to get out of this place that you're in. 
And what sometimes you just need to be told is, and as we need to do as parents and people who love people are suffering, is to give them that hope. Like, please don't cut yourself. Please don't hurt yourself. Things are going to get better. I love you. You have such a great purpose in this life. You know, to give them these little pieces of hope that might, the time, not feel like much, but will build up to hopefully some healing and some wholeness. What about uh, therapies? I know that, that you know, uh, some psychiatrists, you know, will prescribe uh, a lot of different medications. But, uh, you know, I've heard about the, the, the power of, uh, of sports and athletics, uh, you know, just, um, you know, getting uh, in the game and being active, uh, uh, you know, maybe even doing something like running. I know you're a marathon runner as an example, so you know the, 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 how, how good it makes you feel, the endorphins that you get from exercise. Kid can, can that be uh, helpful uh, to, uh, to teenagers, to young people? Yeah, I think we need sort of a toolbox and we need to see what's going to work for us. Um, so certainly our spiritual lives, um, support from loved ones um, as a teenager. Um, for me, some of the things that help, I am a big believer in therapy, although it took me a long time to get there. I resisted it for a long time, felt like I could fix things. But both, um, but both spiritual counseling as well as secular therapy has helped me. And then exercise, definitely. Like once I get, I was actually just on a run before this interview because I had a really busy day and I, I squeezing in a run just really helps me manage. And there's scientific evidence too, that it's not just in my head um, being physically active and it doesn't have to be running. It can be whatever you enjoy. It could be out in the sunshine gardening, Um, but just finding ways to take care of yourself and to, um, I, journaling is another one that really helps me just to kind of vent on the page and let my feelings down. So just finding, helping your child, yourself, um, find these tools to help check in with yourself and be self-aware and make sure that you're getting the help you need. I think uh, the bottom line is heart-to-heart communication uh, with our, uh, our children and, and teenagers. And annoy your teenagers. That's what I always say. Like They'll act annoyed, but it's better to ask and annoy them because at some point they're going to be like, well, mom really cares, even though she's always asking me these questions. <laughs> it shows you care. For sure. No doubt about it that you care. Uh, Kate, uh, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to be with us uh, to talk about this really important issue for any one of us who are parents and have uh, youngsters and, and, and teenagers that might be dealing with this. Uh, appreciate uh, your insights. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Uh, Kate Wicker, uh, and you can uh, find her on uh, katewicker.com or on Instagram at Kate Wicker. We need to take a short break. When we come back on the other side, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, will be with us to talk about the annual week of prayer for Christian unity that uh, begins today. In fact, it's already underway. So stay with us as uh, Morning Air continues on this Thursday here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. 
And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with uh, Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in on this Thursday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Our toll-free line if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Now today, as we uh, mentioned at the top of the show, is the start of the annual week of prayer for Christian unity, which culminates with the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, celebrated in Rome at the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls in Rome next Thursday, January 25th. The week of prayer for Christian unity finds its root Back in the 19th centuries, when when Pope Leo XIII encouraged the practice of a prayer octave for unity, and in fact, during this week, Catholic, Orthodox, Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal, and many other Protestant denominations are invited to pray in a particular way for unity among Christians. And this year's theme is from Luke 10.27, you shall love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Joining us live this morning is our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, uh, with much more on the meaning of uh, this octave of prayer for Christian unity. Father Kabicki is a Jesuit priest, a retreat director, and a spiritual director at the St. Francis de Sales Seminary in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, and a longtime relevant radio uh, contributor with his daily prayer reflections, as well as a longtime contributor to Morning Air. Good morning, Father Kabicki. Thanks so much for being with us. It is always a joy to be with you. Well, thank you, John, and it's great to be with you and all our listeners as well, and especially as we begin this special week of prayer for Christian unity. I I think it's often a a week that is uh, lost or ignored. Um, We're really not that cognizant of it, aware of it, but I think it's so important because Um, Different popes, including Pope St. John Paul II, had talked about spiritual ecumenism. You know, ecumenism means that we are trying to work together for visible unity among all the Christians. And, uh, And it begins with prayer, because we know that we can't, with our own human means, achieve the kind of unity that the Lord wants. It it really comes from his grace. And so we have to open ourselves up to that grace uh, of unity. And, you know, John, I think this is so important because we live in such a divided and broken country, such a divided and broken world. And um, the world can look at the Christians and say, well, how can you expect us who are not believers to be one and to have peace with one another when you Christians yourselves are so divided and uh, in some ways in conflict with one another? And so we, we have a very strong responsibility to pray and to work for unity among all Christians so that we can be uh, a more visible witness of God's power and uh, the uh, opportunity and the possibility of uh, there being unity and peace in our world. Well, Father Kabicki, uh, yeah, this is a very uh, important week uh, for all uh, Christians. And, you know, I have never been to uh, uh, 
the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls in Rome uh, during this time. I have been there numerous times, but never, uh, you know, d- during this octave for uh, the prayer for uh, Christian unity. I did have the opportunity once uh, to go to a, a beautiful s- a, um, service here in the Archdiocese of, of Chicago uh, with uh, Francis Cardinal George and many, many other Protestant uh, leaders uh, praying together. And I remember it was a beautiful thing. You have all, you got Methodists and Lutherans and Baptists and everybody together. And Cardinal George was sitting in the main chair. He was, you know, in the chair of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, the, the important chair that day. And um, I just remember thinking to myself, this is kind of a, a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like when we all come together as one. That's right. And that was Jesus' prayer. You know, at the Last Supper, according to John's Gospel, chapter 17, he prayed, Father, may they be one as you and I are one, so that the world may believe. The world uh, has an obstacle to believing that Jesus is Lord, that he is for real, because they, uh, the world looks at Christians and sees our divisions. And, you know, this the origin of this uh, special week of prayer for Christian unity goes back to around the year 1909. And there was an Episcopalian priest by the name of Father Paul Watson, and a and there was a an Episcopalian nun by the name of um, Mother Lurana White, and the two of them conceived the idea to start a particular religious order based on Franciscan spirituality, but. The goal of the order would be within the Episcopal Church to work for unity among Christians, uh, to bring about uh, a greater peace and and concord among Christians. And uh, it, it didn't take long. This was around 1907 or so, but it, within two years, they decided that they needed to leave the Episcopal Church and be received into the Catholic Church. And so they did that and um, together founded this group called the Franciscans of the Atonement. And um, the sisters group I, apparently has died out, but the priests continue. Uh, they're in Graymore, um, New York, and they continue the work of of ecumenism, of, of striving for uh, unity. But the two of them together decided it would be good to have a week of prayer. And he, Father Paul, decided upon January 18th as the start date and January 25th as the ending date for this week. Now, why did he choose those dates? Well, back in the early 1900s, when he chose January 18th as the starting date, it was a feast day in the church known as the Feast of St. Peter, St. Peter's Chair at Rome. Um, the, we also have at that time in on February 22nd the feast of St Peter's chair at Antioch he had been bishop of both places first at Antioch and then in Rome and in the 1960s uh it was decided by Pope St John the 23rd to combine these two feasts uh rather than have two uh, feasts recognizing St. Peter's authority to combine them into one. And so in February, February 22nd, we have the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. But back when Father Paul Watson started this week of prayer, the feast of uh, January 18th was the Feast of St. Peter's Chair at Rome. So it was a very Catholic feast. And then on the 25th of January, we have the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. 
And all Christians, you know, recognize St. Paul, the author of the letters in the New Testament. And so um, I think Father Paul Watson, what he had in mind was this prayer would begin on a feast that was clearly a very Catholic feast, St. Peter's uh, authority, uh, the recognition of his headship of the church uh, as the Bishop of Rome, and it would end on the feast of the conversion of St. Paul, where uh, all Christians recognize St. Paul as a great missionary. So that's why we have this week during this time of January. I want to open up the phone lines and invite our listeners. Uh, will your parish or diocese be doing something special during this week of prayer for Christian unity? Uh, and perhaps you could share with us uh, some uh, ways that you personally pray and promote a greater unity among Christians. We'd love to, to hear from you. We only have Father Kabicki for a limited amount of time. Uh, so uh, you can give us a call at 888 uh, Father Kabicki, um, you know, I uh, wasn't uh, aware, I just realized the other day that uh, this is a special uh, anniversary. This is the 60th anniversary of that historic meeting between the two lungs of the church, as Pope uh, St. John Paul II used to refer uh, to it, uh, between uh, the uh, patriarch of uh, the uh, Eastern Orthodox and uh, uh, Pope uh, Paul the sixth that happened sixty years ago uh, at, the, at this time, and that was a that was a huge meeting between uh, those two uh, uh, who had been excommunicating each other for nine hundred plus years. That's right. Uh, in in the eleventh century, uh, we had the break between uh, the. Eastern churches and the Western church uh, uh, in Rome, and uh, it was it was a great break. There was a mutual excommunication. What led to it was uh, misunderstandings and just uh, a brokenness uh, between um, the the two churches. Uh, and so from that, as a result of that, you had the beginning of the, the many Orthodox churches and then the Roman Catholic Church separated. And so we refer to uh, people who are Christian but not Catholic, not in union with, with the Bishop of Rome, as our separated brethren. And as you mentioned 60 years ago, John, uh, Pope St. Paul VI and the Patriarch of Constantinople, I believe his name was Athenagoras, uh, the two of them came together and uh, lifted the official excommunication of of uh, the, the two churches, uh, the two leaders of churches that had occurred in the 11th century. And, um, of course, we're still divided in some ways, but at least... Uh, that excommunication was lifted, and it was, a again, a very uh, important and symbolic gesture of the desire of the Patriarch of Constantinople, the leader of the Orthodox world, and the Pope, uh, their desire that we be one uh, and, and show a visible sign of unity to the world. And uh, we uh, have so much in common with our Orthodox uh, brothers and sisters. Um, so uh, it, it's great that that dialogue uh, it, it continues. And I know that uh, under Pope Francis, uh, it, it is something that is also on his mind as well. 
That's right. You know, and St. John Paul II, and I believe it was 1987, he wrote an encyclical about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And in there, he, he talked about how Mary is so honored by the Orthodox churches as well as by the Catholic churches. And, and so Mary can be um, a, a real, let's say, force in our desire for unity. So uh, I really recommend to our listeners, you know, during this week of prayer for, for Christian unity, uh, maybe to make the Angelus a part of your prayer. If you're not already praying the Angelus at noon or sometime during the day, to pray that beautiful prayer to our Blessed Mother, where we recognize how open she was to the will of God. And we know it's God's will that Christians be one. And so we can pray through her intercession that she help us uh, work and pray toward greater unity among Christians. I know there's been a lot of dialogue uh, with Catholics and Lutherans. What about uh, evangelical Christians? Well, that's uh, something at least uh, very much in our country uh, that has been very important. And uh, what we see uh, is that we are being, as it were, brought together primarily through a commitment to uh, protecting life, uh, human life, protecting uh, life in the womb. And so many evangelical Christians and Catholics share that same belief of the sanctity of human life. And that focus has been a real source of, for us to work together. And again, uh, different popes like Pope St. John Paul II recognized that as the possibility for our working together, a way that brings Christians together to work for this very important and common cause of of. Christian unity. And so it, it's beautiful that during this week of prayer for Christian unity, uh, we will have the uh, march, uh, the pro-life march uh, in Washington, and uh, many people from around the country, Catholics, as well as many uh, people uh, who are non-Catholic Christians, especially evangelicals, will come together and uh, pray together and witness to the sanctity of human life. So it, it's great that we have not only the spiritual ecumenism of praying for Christian unity, but also a visible witness of our commitment to uh, recognizing the sanctity of human life. Sanctity of human life uh, is is very important to evangelicals and, and, and Catholics. So is uh, traditional marriage and the family, another thing that we have in common. In these final moments, uh, can, can you talk a little bit about this year's theme um, for uh, this uh, octave? Uh, you shall love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Yes, what's so beautiful is... Um, Every year, a different country, a different group of Christians in a different country around the world is chosen to pray together and come up with a theme and then reflection questions. And the group uh, that was chosen this year is from Africa, from the country of Burkina Faso, uh, a country in sub-Sahara Africa, where uh, Christians are in a minority and at times experience persecution. And the theme that was chosen was from Luke's 
gospel, chapter 10, verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And so there's a sense of um, coming together as Christians to love the Lord our God above all and to love one another and to witness, especially in places where Christians are being persecuted, to witness together again to the sanctity of human life and uh, that we, even though we may be different religions, um, are not uh, to oppose one another in the name of God. And so as Christians, we witness to the Muslim world that God is love. And that's uh, pretty much the theme of this year's um, week of Christian uh, prayer for Christian unity. Father Kabiki, can you give us uh, your uh, blessing and as we continue to pray for greater unity? Father, you who are one God, Father of the Son, the Holy Spirit, we pray that as the unity of the Trinity is an example to us and a sign to us of the unity you desire for humankind, that you would grant us that grace. And may your blessing come upon us all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called The Lunch Bag. It was Molly's job to hand her father his brown paper lunch bag each morning before he headed off to work. One morning, in addition to his usual lunch bag, Molly handed him a second paper bag. This one was worn and held together with duct tape, staples, and paper clips. Why two bags, Mr. Fulgham asked. Well, the other is something else, Molly answered. What's in it? Uh, Just some stuff. Take it with you. Not wanting to hold court over the matter, Fulgham stuffed both sacks into his briefcase, kissed Molly, and rushed off. At midday, while hurriedly scarfing down his real lunch, he tore open Molly's bag and shook out the contents. Two hair ribbons, three small stones, a plastic dinosaur, a pencil stub, a tiny seashell, two animal crackers, a marble, a used lipstick, a small doll, two chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies. Fulgham smiled, finished eating, and swept the desk clean into the wastebasket. Leftover lunch, Molly's junk and all. That evening, Molly ran up behind him as he read the paper. Where's my bag? What bag? You know, the one I gave you this morning. I left it at the office. Why? I forgot to put this note in it, she said. And besides, those are my things in the sack, Daddy, the ones I really like. I thought you might like to play with them. But now I want them back. You didn't lose the bag, did you, Daddy? Oh, no, he said, lying. I just forgot to bring it home. I'll bring it tomorrow. While Molly hugged her father's neck, he unfolded the note that had not made it into the sack. I love you, Daddy. Molly had given him her treasures. All that a seven-year-old held dear. Love in a paper sack. And he missed it. Not only missed it, but he'd thrown it in the wastebasket. So he went back to the office. Just ahead of the night janitor, he picked up the wastebasket and poured the contents on his desk. After washing the mustard off the dinosaur and spraying the whole thing with breath freshener to kill the smell of onions, he carefully smoothed out the wadded ball of brown paper, put the treasures inside, and carried it home gingerly like an injured kitten. The bag didn't look so good, but the stuff was all there, and that's what counted. After dinner, he asked Molly to tell him about the stuff in the sack. It took a long time to tell everything had a story or memory and was attached to dreams and imaginary friends, fairies, and brought some of the things. He'd given her the chocolate kisses, and she'd kept them for when she needed them. Sometimes I think of all the times in this sweet life, Pogum concludes the story, when I've missed the affection I was being given. A friend calls this standing knee-deep in the river and dying of thirst. The little girl smiles, the dinosaurs, the chocolate kisses wrapped in old paper bags we sometimes throw away too thoughtlessly each day, each a tiny treasure. From Hebrews 12.1, 
Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. As always, thanks so much, Glenn. Pray and watch the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky and Maggie, 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this Thursday edition of Morning Air. For Glenn, Sarah, Gabby, Young Thomas, our entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you tomorrow for our March for Life edition of Morning Air. The Patrick Medrid Show is straight ahead.